0: Welcome to the final episode of this season of Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Judy
1: Stevens.
2: Oh, Judy, you seem so sad. I'm Angelique Rocher, but also like, Judy, you seem so sad.
1: I always have such a good time with all of you, even our producers who you can't hear. We... Have all had
0: such a great time bringing you stories about the incredible women who work at Marvel, the characters they bring to life on our pages, and how they've evolved over time. I also, of course, always have a great time working with the two
3: of you.
2: Aww, same. Uh, Look, this season has been so much fun. Like, we literally did our own Women of Marvel style version of how it all started, how it's going for our characters. We got to talk about so many dope artists and writers. And, and, you know, honestly, we went from folks who were relatively new, like America Chavez. Or to actually go back in time, one of my
1: favorite things with history, someone like Patsy Walker. And the women who are working
0: for Marvel today in all different parts of the company that we don't always get to talk
2: about. Yep, from editors to artists, And actors and writers. And even people on staff. The great thing about the Marvel Universe is that there is a Marvel story for everyone, right? We all have our favorites. We all have those arcs that we love. And whether you're new to comics or you've been reading comics for decades, we really hope that you've been inspired by the season to pick up a book and read, right? And we also hope that you take a moment and check out the credits learn more about the incredible writers, artists, and editors working behind the scenes.
1: So for our last episode, while I'm crying silently, Ellie, what are we talking about today?
0: We are talking about a character who has had
1: quite
0: the evolution in Marvel history from starting out as a student and growing into the leader that we know her as today. Kitty Pride first appeared in X-Men number two. 129 in 1980 when we first met her kitty's a teenager with the power to phase through objects so she can go through walls she can pop up through the floor she can become intangible and just go right through things But today, we're going to talk about Kitty, or Kate, as she is currently known, in adulthood. Not only does she grace the pages of Marauders, but she is also a main character in our latest fiction podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine. Just a warning, we are now going to get into some light spoiler territory for episodes that are not out yet. I had the wonderful opportunity to work with writer and director Jenny Turner Hall on this podcast. Jenny is no stranger to audio fiction. She's the creator of the Peabody Award winning podcast, The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel. We recently connected again to talk about how Kitty Pride appears in the Wastelanders audio universe, which is set 30 years in the future after the supervillains all united and managed to kill off most of the heroes we know and love. Jenny is not new to Marvel Comics. In fact, she's such
4: a huge X-Men fan that she named her son after Wolverine. Uh, Guilty. My son is named Logan. And yes, we did um, name him after Wolverine. (laughs) There you go. So you were just destined
0: for this project. That's right. So, did you start out reading comics? What was kind of your introduction to the Marvel space?
4: Well, um, I read Spider Man at my father's barbershop <laughs> growing up. That was my first exposure to the Marvel universe. And I really didn't get into the X Men until college and beyond. I had known about the X Men, but I didn't read the comics. And then I saw the movies, and that got me interested in the comics. And then X Men sort of became to me the most exciting part of the Marvel Universe. I mean, there's so many great characters you could choose from, but the X-Men in particular captured my imagination. I think I wanted to go to the um, Xavier Institute. Yeah. There's <laughs> a little, you know, wish fulfillment.
0: <laughs> I hear you. They were my intro to the Marvel Universe as well. In the Marvel's Wastelanders apocalyptic world, the villains have won. They banded together and defeated the heroes. So most of the mutants and all of the superheroes have either been killed off or scattered. But... We've heard this story several times in our previous Marvel's Wastelanders podcast, but we have not actually been on the day, which is something you will get to experience when Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine begins. But spoilers, we will then travel 30 years into the future and rejoin Kitty Pride in middle age. So tell us what she's like then and how the trauma of V-Day affected her.
4: So she is a young teacher at the school when we meet her in the uh, first episode of the series. And she loves being a part of the faculty there. Um, she was a precocious student. She graduated early. So she's a pretty young teacher and even though she has high school kids, she's only a few years older than them. Um, she's pretty much their peer, but she's their teacher. So that's a little weird. And uh, probably her favorite faculty member at the school is Wolverine. He's someone that she has a long history with. Fans of the Wolverine Kitty Pride comic book series from the 80s might remember that Kitty Pride was in a bad situation where she was in Japan and came under the influence of someone who was a telepath, Ogun, and we get to talk more about that in the series too, but Wolverine uh, kind of saved her butt. So she is indebted to him a little bit because of that, but also he becomes a mentor to her at the school. So in the first episode, we see their easy camaraderie and friendship, and we also get to see that Wolverine is a PE teacher as well as a history teacher at the school. So um, that's fun, seeing him in the classroom um, and seeing how he deals with that, and Kitty Pride um, teaches several subjects at the school, including PE. (laughs) PE's big here. (laughs) She teaches computer science and math classes as well at the school. And um, she's sort of the IT person at the school as well. And um, she's given special permission, we learn in the first episode, to do a, a special modification on Cerebro. I know all the fans know what Cerebro is, but that is the device that Charles Xavier uses to locate other mutants and to connect all the mutants to each other because we all are connected in some way or the other. <laughs> I love that, including myself amongst the mutants. There you, there you go. Why not? Why
0: not? You've, you've, you've got powers. I've seen them. Um, That's it. <laughs> And, well, and you mentioned PE class is a big thing. They they play football, which I always love when the X-Men play sports. Long history <laughs> of X-Men playing sports. Um, so we get a little bit of that in there. But then after this lovely day at the Xavier Institute, everything goes wrong. Oh,
4: yeah. And
0: does and, it ever. Yeah. Everybody ends up dead, except not everybody, obviously, because spoilers, Kitty survives. And when Wolverine tracks her down years later through Cerebro, which we're not going to spoil the (laughs) plot mechanics of that, but, uh, you know, when he realized, because he thinks she's dead, right? Yes. And then um, he finds out that she's not all these years later and tracks her down what is she like when we meet her in middle age? How has this trauma kind of affected her?
4: I would say that she has gotten really tough. Kitty Pride survived a terrible ordeal and witnessed unspeakable things and experienced a gargantuan portrayal. And because she survived this incident, whether she liked it or not, she was going to have to step up and be a leader And spoiler alert, um, the mutants need to find refuge in Canada. So she is in Canada and she is hardened by her experiences, but also resolved to come back to her home eventually in the United States and also to drive out the evil influences that have brought her and the other mutants To Canada, and it's not just mutants who are at the school, but also other mutants living in the United States. And she is slowly organizing them and um, amassing forces with the idea of um, a possible war or military action to take back America. So that's when we meet her, she is in that state of mind of someone who is, who has really been through the ringer. And I think she wants to fight, but also there's a part of her that thinks this could be a losing battle. So I think uh, she's internally torn between um, her desire to join the resistance and fight and also feeling like, but we're going to lose, you know, we're going to walk into a bloodbath. So she's in a tight spot. She's not the bright-eyed Kitty that we knew when she was younger.
0: And our villain in this series uh, is, of course, Red Skull. Did you take Kitty's faith into account at all with all of this and how her lineage, how she as a Jewish character might feel about this situation with Red Skull?
4: Absolutely. So Red Skull, as we know, is someone who sees Hitler as an example of, you know, a leader who uh, showed him a way forward and and, and doesn't totally disagree with some of the ideology there. And he brings in this invasion that we were talking about that happened on V-Day. There's definitely an aspect to him that is not just trying to wipe out the Avengers, and anyone who would be able to defeat him, but just mutants in general as a race. This idea of something like that happening again, as it happened uh, back in World War Two, obviously with Hitler, is um, certainly in Kitty's mind and, and heavy on her heart. It, it certainly gives her resolve, I think, to do something about it, but I think she also is just, feels despair. And she's she sort of needs... A little bit of a reason for hope that she has a chance at going against Red Skull, who, when we meet Kitty Pride middle-aged, she has encountered watching Red Skull rise to power in the United States and stay there for 30 years. I mean, he is, you know, just this um, maniacal leader that people cannot push out.
0: But... Kitty's not alone when we find her in Canada. You mentioned that she's been, you know, organizing mutants, sneaking people across the border. But she's, contrary to what Red Skull believes, she is not the only one who survived that day. Uh, In fact, there was a group of young mutants who managed to escape. And do you want to tell us anything about who who Kitty's hanging out with these days? uh, Who her family is?
4: Well, surprise! Kitty's roommate actually is Rachel Summers, who is the daughter of Jean Grey and Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. So she made it out. She was a student at the school during V-Day. And not only has she hooked up with Kitty Pryde, they have found each other to join forces, but also they're living together, which is kind of fun. You talked
0: about kind of the variable nature of memory in this, and I know we're 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 treading close to spoiler territory here. But uh, when Wolverine tracks Kitty down, I think it is fair to say that they have different memories of how things went down that day. How has this kind of changed their relationship, and how? is kitty able to kind of reconcile that for herself.
4: Right. It goes into is seeing believing. Can you trust your own eyes, you know? And then and then it gets even more complicated. Can you trust your own memory of things? There's a lot of that going on here. But Kitty has a very distinct memory and experience of that day and Wolverine has a different one. And this fractures their trust in each other especially her trust in him and so there's a huge dilemma here because they truly share separate realities of what happened that day how do you reconcile that you know um when two people have completely different memories of an event So uh, that's an interesting sort of philosophical question and it becomes an interesting practical question in the series. So there's that, but there's also in the world of Marvel we have telepaths, people who have the ability to mess with your mind and even your memories. And also people who get in your head and control you and make you do things you otherwise wouldn't do. I mentioned the comic books of Wolverine and Kitty Pride from the 80s. There was a series where Ogun was kind of a, a samurai teacher who taught Wolverine and um, he was initially a character in the series that seemed like he wanted to help help Wolverine and and tame the wild beast within. Because Wolverine, one of the reasons why we love him as a character, right, is because he's a complicated character. You know, he has the capacity to do great good, and he also has the capacity to cause great harm. And so Ogun was trying to help him control the the animal side of him, the beast that could unleash harm. But eventually, Ogun sort of turned and was not a benevolent character, and eventually he got his hands on... Kitty Pride when she was in Japan she went by the name Shadow Cat and eventually it was Wolverine who helped kind of arrest her from the spell of that so to speak that's not exactly how it happened but but you get the idea and so Kitty knows what it's like for someone to manipulate your mind and make you do things that are out of your control so um at least open this door of maybe that there was There was something more out there than just Red Skull, who was um, making V-Day happen and certainly um, having an influence on that day and on characters that we love.
0: So you obviously did a bunch of research into Kitty for this series. Um, Did you have any favorite stories that you kind of discovered or rediscovered in the process of this that we haven't talked about yet?
4: Well, I love the stories of Kitty sort of in in her high school years. I have to be honest, some of my favorite moments, which are not stories, is just her learning how to use her phasing abilities and powers. Like when you're learning how to phase, like how do you keep your clothes on? Because you could phase through your clothes, you know, and just moments like that in the comic books where they sort of explored it in almost, you know, a moment of comedy because that – To me, always understanding the mechanics of people's abilities is... I mean, that really uh, scratched my nerdy itch. <laughs> I
2: love it. I love
0: it. How did that fascination with the mechanics of powers, not just for Kitty, but for, you know, the various characters that you worked with in the series translate to audio? Because you didn't just write the series, you also directed it. How did you kind of approach needing to create these fantastical abilities in an audio space?
4: That was definitely a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, you do take a cue a bit from what the movies do because you just use it as a starting place. And then you adjust from there and you think, okay, what's going to be most dynamic from an audio perspective? And usually it's something that's much bigger and bolder than what they did in the movies because it needs to be clear to the listener. And then, you know, you use it consistently we developed a library of sound after we kind of settled on what those sounds would be, use them consistently throughout the series. And, um, you know, you just close your eyes and you put on your, your, your fangirl hat and just think, okay, as a fan, does this read properly, you know? So yeah, we worked really hard to get those sound effects just right. So I hope, I hope you guys are happy with it and like the series because, um, we had y'all in mind for sure. <laughs> it was a delight to have you working on this series and to get to chat with you today. Uh, thank you. Oh, the pleasure so was much. mine, Ellie. I had such a good time here today and and uh, I could talk to you about Kitty Pride all day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ah, that's so awesome. Like, I am always excited to hear um, from the folks who are working on scripted podcasts, because it's such an interesting part of the Marvel Universe, but particularly the Wastelanders um, series that has been really incredible.
0: I am so glad that you have been enjoying it. And in order to get another view of what Wastelanders Kitty Pride is like, we are going to talk to the actress who played her.
1: Yeah, and I cannot wait to meet her. She did such a good job as Kitty in this podcast.
0: Award-winning actor Ashley Atkinson has been seen in loads of films, television, on stage, even in other podcasts. I fangirled her about Steal the Stars a little bit. Most recently, you may have seen her as Mamie Fish on The Gilded Age. And here's what she had to say about getting to be part of the Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine podcast.
5: I was really excited when approached to play Kitty Pride because... She's been in the comics and especially with the sort of the Kitty and Wolverine offshoot branch. So it was really cool to be able to lift her off the page. Yeah. So it was really exciting to like get a good crack at somebody that that hasn't uh, been thoroughly explored. Beloved
0: character. Like, you know, Kitty has so many fans.
5: Oh, man. She's so cool. There' are so many aspects of her that are so painfully beautifully human. I always felt like kitty uh had these twin urges that so many of us have, both to be exceptional and to be accepted
0: mm-hmm
5: you know as mm-hmm. uh as the youngest member of the x men I think she's always she was always trying to prove herself and be the best, but she also like was really hungry for community, and uh I think those twin drives are something that certainly for performers and I think for people and for women, you know, I, I can only speak from my own perspective as a cis woman. And I know that I am always trying to sort of outrun my own imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite reductress I don't know if you guys know reductress. it's a very yeah. funny website, but my favorite reductress headline says, uh, are you even good enough to have imposter complex? And it's just like, <laughs> yep, uh, that to me in a nutshell. So I feel like I know a lot of other women who also struggle with needing to be exceptional to uh, even feel somewhat accepted. Mm-hmm. And I, think I got deep fast. Sorry, you did, <laughs> and I love it.
0: In this first episode of Mm -hmm. Wastelanders Wolverine, we find Kitty as a teacher at Xavier's school. So let's talk a little bit about that version of her before we get into where we find her about 30 years later.
5: I really love uh, the version of Kitty in episode one. Also, we're talking about her like she's a teacher. She's still a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, uh, she's still... A very young woman. And I think she's really at the top of her game when we meet her in episode one. She feels very comfortable. She's been fully accepted. She's teaching at the school. She and Wolverine have a great uh, friend chemistry and she feels very comfortable. I really enjoyed getting to play those scenes where I get to have... That sort of um, sibling rivalry, this nephew-niece feeling Mm -hmm. with Wolverine, where I get to make fun of him, and he gets to make fun of me, and we're very competitive, and we're, you know, pitting our students against each other, and it's just a lot of fun. And what really stood out to me in those scenes was how at home I felt, Mm -hmm. how... Mm -hmm how safe and secure and despite all the threats that the X-Men come up against, how it felt really uh, nurturing as an environment. So of course, I mean, you know that like nothing gold can stay, right? Like it's just so lovely and such a warm bath of a feeling that of course it's all going to get blown up eventually yeah. you know it can't it can't stay that way
0: on the best day of a marvel character's life they should be ready for it to become the worst
5: <laughs> oh man for sure like yeah exactly
0: so Everything goes off the rails after that. Um, after right. we get to see the X-Men play some sports or hear the X-Men play some sports, which is one of my favorite X-Men traditions, things get a little real. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about how this great day of Kitty's life
5: becomes the worst. Uh, well, there's an invasion. There is an invasion by uh, Red Skull and Crossbones and their minions.
0: Skull is effectively destroyed, and yep. not just the X-Men, but the Avengers, pretty much all of the heroes are dead or presumed dead, including Kitty. Uh Wolverine thinks he's the only one left. And it's a little more than 30 years before Wolverine realizes that Kitty is still out there and tracks her down. And where does he find her and what's her life like when he does?
5: So uh Kitty has fled to Canada with Rachel, who is known by Green Sweater uh, in uh, the first episode. I don't know if we ever refer to her actually as Rachel in the first episode, but we've been holed up in basically a hideout for the last 30 years. Wolverine and a young woman he has met along the way figure out that they can find us and then show up on our doorstep. And to be honest, we're not psyched. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, We thought we hid a lot better than that. And it turns out we were super findable. And Kitty is, to say the least, underwhelmed by Wolverine's return, and she's exponentially happier than Rachel is. So, <laughs> like...
0: <laughs> and I believe from Kitty's perspective, there's a bazooka involved. Like, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, no. uh, yeah. I come, I come armed for bear for sure. Yeah. And uh, I have spent thirty years in this space, and with uh, my friend Rachel, and I'm going to protect her and. Our little world against anyone that I consider to be a threat. At the moment, that includes Wolverine and his new friend. Mm -hmm.
0: But I would imagine that Kitty retains some of her instinct for mentorship and community building. Kitty is,
5: is not a lone wolf. Yeah. This world that I'm living in with Rachel is very small, but I could not do it alone. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard when Wolverine comes back. I mean, I think it's it's a universal thing. We want to take people back and we want to reconcile and we want to believe the best in people. And I think Kitty is really that person that wants everyone to get along yeah. and wants to fight the bad guys and wants to be very clear on who the bad guys are and who the bad guys are not.
0: Let's talk about the real bad guys for a second. Yeah. yeah. Or the worst guys.
5: Let's let's, the let's
0: worst talk- guys. Yeah. So those jerks. Red Skull is president. And um it yeah. seems like Canada's a good place to hide out. Things seem a little bit better for mutants there. Right. But what is it like for Kitty, who um has always been, you know, presented as a Jewish character who, you know, her faith is a part of her identity, to see not just, you know, this president who wants to wipe out mutants, but Red Skull specifically rise to power in this way.
5: Yeah, it's so scary. I mean, I think the rhetoric, not just the actions of Red Skull, but the the rhetoric that uh, he is employing uh, at the time of this show is so, so scary. And he means every word of it. He wants extinction uh, for my kind. And the way that he uses not just force and violence, but the way that he enlists other people, the way that he encourages the worst in people. He swings for the fences as far as separating us and making an us and them mentality uh, that is hell-bent on extinction of mutants. And anyone else that he sees, considers unfit, certainly has echoes in the 20th and 21st century It's super scary and it's super real. Um, It's that thing that Marvel does, again, so well, where it's just the echoes of real events.
0: That is so true. The parallels that are drawn between mutant genocide and real life history are too difficult to ignore. So let's talk now about how all of this came together. How was it to play Kitty in an audio medium where you are not in the physical space with the other actors, but you are required to make very live and physical sounds, recreating action and superpowers?
5: I wasn't in a booth. I was in a, I mean, I was, but it was, it's the size of a small room. It's not like telephone booth size. So there is, I could get running starts on stuff. I could strike, you know. Uh, martial arts poses, I could do things like that. I was really lucky in that when I signed on the first day into Zoom that I was greeted uh, with the face of my friend Jenny Ikeda, who is playing Rachel, which is great. Jenny and I also have never met in person, but we've been, since the pandemic began, we've been part of a theater group that's been meeting Uh, consistently for a couple of years now. So Jenny feels like a very good friend. So to see her face when I logged on and to find out that we were playing opposite each other as these (laughs) women that have been holed up in a place together for all these years, we were like, oh, good, perfect, wonderful. We can do this. Um, So that felt really great. The violence, you just got to get over embarrassment Mm -hmm. like real fast because it's all so silly but it all means so much also like sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it so wrong and then you just have to laugh and uh robert patrick is sort of like the best dude to, to do this stuff with because he'll be he's so funny he'll he'll do something and i mean he's a he's a brilliant performer Um, I mean, the work he did as Wolverine is just so beautiful and he, sometimes he would do something and then he'd be like, "Oh, Jenny, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was, that was just terrible. I, I apologize to everyone in the room. Like he would just be like, and like apologize to us individually. I'm sorry, actually. I'm sorry, Jenny. I'm, I'm sorry, Jenny Turner Hall. I'm I'm sorry. Can we just do that again? (laughs) (laughs) Or he'd finish and he'd just go. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, Robert, that was amazing. What are you talking about? You know, and he's just, no, 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 no. Let's do that again. Like I, I know I can do that better. And so it really frees you up to sort of be like, oh, that one was good. Okay, that one was ridiculous. Can I can I have that? And when you know that you can mess up, it gives you the freedom to go further because you can fail and you can fail and there's no harm in it. You just do it again.
0: So you've worked in a lot of different mediums (laughs) in a lot (laughs) of different capacities. What is it about audio in particular that you find most interesting or most fun compared to, say, theater or film or television?
5: Certainly, like right off the bat, without any sort of coloration on it, I am a fat 44-year-old white woman who... I'm not saying that I could not play a superhero or a mutant. I'm just saying that I can't think of anyone who's ever cast someone That looks like me as a superhero or mutant, but audio frees me up outside the limitations of my body. Yeah. So I get to take the journey of Kitty from 15 to 45 without CGI or five hours in a makeup chair. And it's really gratifying to get to take that whole journey.
0: Thank you so much for coming and talking to us at Women of Marvel today.
5: Oh, it's my pleasure, Allie. Thanks for having me.
2: Both of these amazing conversations have made me even more excited to listen to this podcast.
0: The first episode is available now wherever you get your podcasts, but if you want to be ahead of the game, and the first two episodes are available on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. New episodes drop every Monday.
1: I cannot wait to hear the whole season. I'm literally holding my phone now and subscribing to the series like everyone at home should be doing.
0: Next up, we're heading back into the comic books as Kitty, now known as Kate, leads a group of heroes called the Marauders, saving mutants all over the world and bringing them to the safety of the mutant island of Krakoa. There is no better person to fill us in than Marvel's associate editor, Lauren Amaro. Welcome to Women of Marvel, Lauren. We are so happy to have you here to talk about Kate Pride and the Marauders. The latest run is written by Steve Orlando. Catch me up on what's been going on with the Mutants and who Kate is nowadays.
3: Hi Ellie, it's really great to be here. Kitty Pride was someone that so many people love and she's a great character, but when she's introduced, you know, back in 1980, She's very much the little sister uh, kind of character in terms of, you know, she is a kid when we first meet her and she's kind of like that scrappy kid. And she's so much fun and everyone wants to take her under their wing, um, which is great. And she goes on a lot of fun adventures. But, you know, as, you know, the comics go 20 years, she's still sort of in that position and people start trying to figure out you know, how to progress her character. And you get her stepping out a little bit more, sort of, you know, trying out a couple different names. We get Shadowcat. But there's still sort of this, for lack of a better word, shadow, I think, hanging over her of, you know, always being the mentee, even when she's stepping into the role of the mentor, like, and teaching at the school. Um, And all of a sudden, you know, now we have Krakoa, and all of a sudden, now we go from Kitty to Kate. She starts off uh, in the new Marauder series as being the only person who can't use the Krakoan gates uh, to get to the island. The island doesn't want to seem to interact with her the way that it does everyone else and sort of makes her place on the island a little bit shaky. Mm -hmm. So she sort of goes and makes her own role for herself and takes on this captain persona and leads this Marauders team. And I think we really just see her Grow into her own, as a result, and in a way that's been really fun to see, and has made me more interested in the character than I've been for a while.
0: So let's talk about the Marauders. Are they liberators,
3: hijackers, raiders, heroes? What's up with them? Yeah. So I think the the first iterations of the Marauders uh, appears in like 1986, and it's like a group of assassins that sinisters, so, uh, you know put together to go wipe out the Morlocks which is like a group of like sewer dwelling mutants that he mm-hmm. just doesn't like and you know for a while that's like different mutants have come together under that banner and it's always been sort of to do less than scrupulous things let's say and then again in the the spirit of sort of taking classic Marvel things and turning them on their head in the new era and giving them new context you have Kate forming the Marauders and they're still kind of doing some shady stuff under the radar, but with a much more positive purpose. You know, this is a group that has come together to essentially rescue mutants who are not able to get to Kutkoa and liberate them and bring them back. So
0: in addition to being the captain of the Marauders, Kate is also the Red Queen of the Hellfire Trading Company. So what can you tell us about the Hellfire Trading Company?
3: Yeah, so this played a, a bit of a larger role in the 2019 series with Jerry Duggan. We've we stepped away from it a little bit more in this new series. But within that first series, you know, Hellfire Trading Company is essentially the, the people who fund the marauders and who are organizing and operating that black trade that you see them carrying out. You have, you know, Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and um, Kate being sort of the main players within that company. And of course, you know, they don't always have the same idea with what the company should be doing or how, you know, they should be running things. And you see that all come into play and get tangled. And, you know, they certainly get into a few fights of their own and spoilers, uh, kill each other over it once or twice. you know?
0: But the X-Men can't die. So what happens when you kill an X-Men? And how do we go about getting Kate back?
3: Uh, when an X-Men dies, their memories are backed up on Cerebro and held in a few different like places around the island. They have backups. And then we have uh, a sort of mutant circuit known as the Five, um, mutants that can pull their powers together to essentially resurrect uh, a mutant body and transplant those memories back into you and essentially creating a whole new you. What can you tell us about the... New 2022 Marauders run. The new Marauders series, which is being written by Steve Orlando, uh, is really fun. Uh, Steve is taking a lot of fun, classic X-Men elements and just making them feel so fresh and new and taking them in exciting directions and, you know, taking the opportunity to expand on some of the mythos that is there. Uh, Eleanor Carlini's art is amazing. It is so kinetic. And Matt Mila's colors are just stunning. And and seeing the two of them paired up has been just so much fun to watch those pages roll in. How
0: does Kitty feel about not being able to get to Krakoa? At least not being able to get there through the gates.
3: You see everyone settling into this perfect island paradise. And, you know, she arrives by boat. Mm-hmm. the island wasn't gonna let her in but like hell like that she's gonna let that stop her she's gonna get there one way or another and you know her arriving there uh, in the way that she does so is is I think you know one of the reasons why Emma recruits her for a bunch of different reasons but um, that definitely foreshadows um, mm-hmm. the journey that she's about to embark on and you know even during when she was killed by Shaw and you know eventually had to be resurrected. Um, part of the reason that Shaw did want to kill her, by Emma appointing Kate as Red Queen, it was keeping Shaw from consolidating as much power as he'd like to and having full control over the company. Partially because Kate's inability to use the gate, he theorized that it would also prevent her from being properly resurrected. Mm. Um, and that certainly proved true up to a point. Emma and the the five attempted to resurrect her 18 times and they could not figure out why the process didn't work and spoilers for anyone who wasn't caught up on the series. Apologies, you know, the 18th time it finally does work because they realize that they're thinking about her powers completely wrong. She's never going to hatch or fully break out of these eggs. She's going to face through, you know, and they just had to approach it differently. Um, so her powers and how they interact with Krakoa is still sort of a, a bit of a mystery of, of why that is. But she has found her own way uh, and her own place on the island, even though that relationship doesn't work like every other mutant on the island. She, I think, feels more comfortable in what her role is and, you know, in forging her own path. How
0: did you first encounter Kitty? What was your first Kitty Pride story?
3: You know, that is a great question. Um, so. I did not really read a whole lot of Marvel comics as a kid. It was something I definitely discovered um, closer to, you know, high school uh, and definitely got more and more into Marvel stuff when I was in college. But also sort of like at that point, the folks that I was interested in were like the next gen kids, like all those sort of, I don't want to say the weirdos because at the end of the day, all the X-Men are weirdos, right? But definitely, like, those were kind of my favorite. And, you know, by the time I got to the X-Men, Kate was sort of in that weird middle ground of, like, student teacher, I want to call it, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, she wasn't really a student anymore. She was, like, older than all the kids that, like, I, like, latched onto first. But she was still, again, under that sort of shadow. So I didn't really know what to do with her or, Mm -hmm. or how to feel about her. She was interesting in a character who had a lot of history and I had to, like, go back and read it go on that journey and see who she was shame to say it she wasn't my favorite character but
0: that's okay that's part of what we're talking about here is how characters evolve and how we evolve and gain new experiences that make us see characters differently I think is a big part of what makes a good character and an enduring character um, which we see in comics as we see in no other medium these characters mm-hmm. that have to endure for 30 to 60 years let's say so I think I think that's a big part of what makes that possible yeah i was
3: Um, listening to a talk recently given by professor douglas woke who is um one of the faculty members over at portland state university in their comic studies program he gave a talk recently about the x-men and he had a very interesting quote about uh comics having to constantly have the illusion of change Mm -hmm. so you know constantly breaking and reforming the status quo And, you know, having characters go through changes while also kind of putting the toys back in the box at the end of the day, I think is a very apt way of describing it. So what do you think Kitty's core is? But I think Kate at her core is, you know, fearless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether we take that to mean unafraid to speak her mind, you know, not everyone is going to go up to to Xavier and call him a jerk to his face mm-hmm. but she certainly will mm-hmm. and I think that also translates into her actions with again forging her own path and the way that she approaches her role on Krakoa and takes responsibility and takes the initiative and she's not waiting around for someone else to solve problems for her she's going out and actively solving them herself you know absolutely
0: Laura Amaro, thank you so much for coming on Women of Marvel today. We hope you'll come back in the future.
3: Yes, definitely. Thank you again for having me. It's always a joy to listen to you guys, so I'm excited to be here.
2: I gotta say, this version of Kate Pride is really fun to read. Um, you know, when you read the old comics, which, God, I love especially the Chris Claremont run. She's younger, right? We've kind of talked about like she is one of the youngest mutants. But in this one, like she's coming into her own. And like despite some bumps in the road, uh, which we all know as adults happen, uh, she's found a way to lead and make a difference for mutant kind. And her
1: story has sort of come full circle, especially with her relationship to Emma Frost who way back when tried recruiting her when she was just a teenager and finding and discovering her powers. Kate's the perfect
0: example for this season of how a character can change and evolve and still remain at her core our beloved Kitty Pride. And speaking of beloved people, we are going to end this season with a special staff
2: spotlight. You may have heard her name at the end of all of the Marvel podcasts.
1: And she oversees our entire audio team and the epic, amazing, incredible content that they all do. She is also
0: a huge Marvel fan and not only cares
1: deeply about the
2: storytelling, but she also cares passionately about the people she works with.
0: I can attest to that firsthand. But without further ado, we present this week's Staff Spotlight, Director of Audio and Executive Producer, Jill Duboff.
6: I'm Jill Duboff, and I'm the Director of Audio here at Marvel, which specifically pertains to the podcast division. We have quite a few podcasts, Women of Marvel, of course, Marvel's Voices, and two ongoing weekly shows, Marvel's Pull List and This Week in Marvel. And then we also have this incredible slate of fiction. So far, we've released three seasons in the Wastelanders series, starting with Marvel's Wastelanders Star-Lord, Star-Lord played by Timothy Busfield, followed by Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye, who is played by Stephen Lang, Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow, Susan Sarandon plays Black Widow, and then this week, as you heard in this episode, we're launching our newest season, Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine. And Wolverine is played by Robert Patrick, Kitty Pride, of course, played by Ashley Atkinson. It is so much fun. I'm really, really excited for everybody to listen. And a few weeks ago, we released Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, which is hilarious. A super fun six-episode romp that I highly recommend. We also have some fascinating documentary podcasts. We have Marvel's Declassified and The History of Marvel Comics, Black Panther. And then from early on in the pandemic, we have a show called The Marvel Method, which is Method Man sitting down with some of his favorite people and talking life and comics. And if you haven't heard it, go listen right now. It is incredible incredibly charming and so fun, and there's a surprise in every episode. I started at Marvel in September 2019, and before I was at Marvel, I was a sound designer for theater for a long, long time. I designed off-Broadway, I designed on-Broadway, I designed over a dozen Broadway shows. And then I started working at the New Yorker and I helped to develop the New Yorker Radio Hour. I was there for five years before coming to Marvel. And prior to that, I had been freelancing for WNYC with Studio 360 and Radio Lab. And I think that when this job opened up at Marvel, what made me the most excited about it was that it really combined my love of storytelling and radio and podcasting and just everything all at once and I was a fan of Marvel. I grew up reading Archie comics, and then my little brother was a Marvel fan, and he lent me a Silver Surfer book. And I remember exactly where I was when he gave it to me, and I'm trying to remember what age I was. I think I was in junior high school, so I must have been 12, and my mind was blown. It was so different than Archie. I was really into it. My favorite Marvel character honestly is Spider Woman. I have two kids and the Dennis Hopeless run of Pregnant Spider Woman just speaks to me in a way that I just am like, somebody gets it. I love it. I have read that run. I don't know how many times at this point. It is so good, I recommend it all the time. I've bought the trades for friends. Whenever they are pregnant and having babies, it is one of my pregnancy gifts to friends. I love that character and I love that run. Um, I'm also a big fan of The Visions, which was drawn by Jordi Belair. My favorite thing working at Marvel are the people that I get to work with. When I first started working here, The group of people that I was working with were so supportive and helpful, and I just thought, what an amazing, amazing place this is to work. When people who don't read comics ask, how can I get into comics? I ask them, what do they like? What kind of things do they read? And from there, I'm generally able to suggest a few things that I think are sort of in line. And so I think that... One of the most wonderful things about Marvel Comics, but also the easiest thing, is that there is something for everybody. You just have to start somewhere.
2: That's a wrap on this season of Women of Marvel. No, I don't want it. No! Cry! No! I know, but seriously, don't worry. We'll be back in the fall. And actually, Angelique, people
0: may be able to find us before then. Oh wait! We can tell them, can we? I, think, I think secret time. If you're heading to Comic-Con in San Diego this summer, be sure to stop by and check out our Women of Marvel panel. Get there early because it is always standing room only. You will get to meet some fabulous women who work for Marvel and mingle with enthusiastic audience members who share your love for all things Marvel Comics, some of whom may
1: even be your future collaborators. We look forward to seeing you there. But in the meantime, let us know who your favorite woman of marble is. And we meet all of them, writers and artists, actors, producers, stunt coordinators, audio producers. Shout out to your favorite and celebrate the work they've done and continue to do so. So you can tweet at us using the hashtag Women of Marvel or you can tag us at Angelique Rocher, OMG, DJ Judy, and Ellie Pyle. Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel
0: Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, Angelique Crochet judy stevens and me ellie pyle
2: our senior manager of audio development is brad barton our production manager is larissa rosen and our executive producer is jill duboff
1: listen weekly on sirius xm and on marvel podcasts unlimited on apple podcasts until next season this is marvel
3: your, your universe, universe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why did we say that so slow <laughs> i don't know